0: Welcome, Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions questions answered, answered. for For you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern.
1: And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? How you doing? And today, for the second time, we
0: have Travis Wu of... Woo! (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Uh, How's it going, Travis? Good. Thanks for having me on again, as always.
2: Yeah, man. Welcome back. This is great. Like, uh, it's ever, I think since you came on, that had to have been, like, what, at least 12 weeks ago or something like that. We've talked We've talked brews a little bit, and we've actually almost been, like, established a little bit now as, like, a modern brew cast in some ways. We've had some interesting discussions, so it's cool to have you back.
1: I mean, you've been established as a modern <laughs> brew cast.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh. I went back and listened to the episode again to make sure I wasn't going to be redundant with questions, but I found myself listening to the whole episode. It was it was a good episode. You, answered, you had you had great answers last time, so hopefully we can uh, get a, get a great sequel going. Yeah,
1: so that's not just a that's pretty much just a plug. All of you guys listening, go go back, listen to that one. Now listen to this one, or listen to this one first, then that one. I don't think there's going to be any information that you need to know. But
2: no, yeah, we, we have a, we have a very <laughs> unique episode today, so this should be a lot of fun. We're going to talk. A few things. Uh, we have, uh, what, card interaction. Yeah, yeah we, have, one. we
1: have two, like, philosophical questions, and then it's going to be followed by, a, like, quick lightning round. We got a bunch of cards from people on the Twitterverse, and they, they've mm-hmm. asked what cards are, like, cool and unique for Modern. And we're going to talk about, you know, what kind of decks those possibly could be good in. And then we'll, you know, wrap it up with some, uh, some wrapping up-ness. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So yeah, before we get started, I do want to let everyone know on the internet that you can follow us at the mm cast. Go tweet us right now, then come back then listen. Uh, Twitter and uh, also email us. We have uh, the mmcast at rocketjump.com. Um, and <laughs> so yeah so let's get let's get started. Uh, I guess the first question is what is card interaction? Uh, I know that you had a long and I think I was part of that debate on Facebook and mm-hmm. Twitter a month or two ago, and I wanted to kind of break it down on the podcast. So Travis, what is your definition for card interaction?
0: so i mean there's card interaction and there's player interaction when we think of an interactive experience in playing games we think about getting to make a lot of decisions generally right if it's interactive we think decisions right is that right yeah i'd I'd agree that sure the most
2: interactive cards are cards with multiple choices so charms and and commands and things are like the most interactive because you get tons of of choice right
0: well yeah yeah it feels interactive and when we don't get to do anything we didn't get to interact it felt like an Uninteractive game, yeah. Certain decks don't provide much decisions to the opponent, and, and we call those decks uninteractive. Um, however, I want to bring to light a different idea of what interaction means inside the game of Magic, from a physical definition of an interaction is just a exchange that happens between two pieces, two objects. You know, so for instance, if I play a creature and I attack you the creature is an object and it interacted with you which is a game object in the rules and an interaction occurred even if there is no decision so for instance when we think of this I want more interaction in my deck right we are we're not necessarily speaking about more choices but a way to interact on a different axis like a classic I don't know interactive card is something like abrupt decay which does offer choices, but it offers a unique kind of interaction and one card interacting with another card that we wouldn't necessarily be able to. I don't know really what I'm getting to or what the point of this is, <laughs> but like magic games are very interactive. There is... Well, I mean... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No,
1: yeah, I feel like what you're saying is, you know, there's two types of interaction in the game. There's the type of interaction where I, you know, what people generally assume when you say an interactive card, which is a card that lets me affect what my opponent is trying to do, that being like Mm -hmm. removal or counterspell or something along those levels. Or there's the fact that pretty much every game action in a game of magic is somehow generally interacting with something the player is trying to do. And maybe not everything, but for the most part, every single action you do, which in essence makes creatures instead of maybe charms or something like that, the most interactive kind of spell, because those are those like they do everything they come to play and do something they tap you can sack them like literally every possible ability available plus a thousand more because of just the inherent ability to attack and block comes attached to a creature
0: i like that you brought up creatures i want to continue with that i think that creatures are yeah the most interactive both from the you know decision standpoint also from a true interactive standpoint Uh, especially in standard you know i I often like to play all creature decks or majority creature decks sometimes and we look at it and we think that it's not so interactive but like this creature with flying can block any creature can attack a planeswalker can attack an opponent not just once. it can interact you know 10 times in a game um in a blocking axis and a attacking a planeswalker, attacking a player.
1: Right. I mean, uh, on, on this note, I've always kind of said this. I actually think aggro and aggressive decks or like creature heavy decks are often more complicated to play in many facets than control decks, which is kind of the opposite of what common conception is. Yeah. And that's because there are so many different facets when I attack with a creature that I have to keep in track of versus yeah. if I'm playing control, my main mission is, my, the main question I ask every turn is, should I kill this or should I let it live? And that is a much more basic question than, oh, if I attack with my three goblins, do they, there's their one Tarmogoyf, is that able to block one of the goblins? And then am I going to be able to get enough damage in if I lose that goblin and sacrifice it? Can I somehow bluff to make him so he doesn't block? Like, there's so many different facets when attacking and blocking and doing something with creatures that they're way more complicated. And definitely add way more skill level needed to kind of do well with them.
2: Well, I think that's an interesting point you bring up, too, because talking about creatures being more interactive than spells in some ways, the biggest power creep we've seen in Magic since the beginning of the game is the power of creatures, and the power level of creatures has largely improved not just on, like, rate versus mana cost, which, I mean, you Mm -hmm. have seen, like, five fives for 4 are far more common than they used to be. Right. But you also see so many creatures now that have an enter-the-battlefield ability that mimics a powerful spell... Which makes it such that you can play decks like Pod, you know, Old Pod and Modern. I mean, especially with high-impact formats like mm-hmm. format like Modern, where your mm-hmm. creature curve is going to be lower, naturally. But you need interaction to be able to favorably interact with a lot of the most broken decks. You need creatures. I mean, look at Pestermite Splinter Twin. I mean, that's...
1: Right. Those are two creatures that are not... I mean, Kiki yeah. Jiki Splinter Twin are two creatures that just kind of go off.
2: They have powerful, powerful interaction while still being efficiently yeah. costed. I mean... It's just interesting, like, the definition of, of interaction is so, so often associated with instants and sorceries rather than creatures.
0: Yeah. Well, also, it's so often we disassociate ourselves from being a game object. Because when I was asking this question, it was like, all right, I attack you with a creature, and it deals five damage to you. Did an interaction happen? And a lot of people were like, no, no interaction happened because I didn't make a decision.
2: Well, I, I definitely think that the interaction does happen because look at... Uh, okay, great example. I listened back to the first episode you did with us and you mentioned mm-hmm. your life total as a resource when you were playing Living In with the card Street Wraith, which is mm-hmm. a 3-4 for 5, I believe, it can be cycled for 2 life. So I certainly think that your life total, even if you're just sitting there and you're making land drops and you're, you're taking damage, you losing life is an interactive part of the game that is incredibly significant. So I think in that sense, every single game action is certainly part of interaction
0: yeah yeah i I understand the confusion like because we we think interaction means decision but then from like a real you know physics definition it's like just transfer of energy between objects or whatever so you know it's up to definition i guess but
2: Sure. I remember reading an article at one point. I can't remember exactly when it was written. I think it was on the mothership. I feel like it was re- written by Patrick Chapin, so it could have been on Star City or something. But the idea was most perfectly designed magic card. And he gives a whole definition in the article about, you know, what does this mean? The level, the possible level of interaction on the, on the highest and lowest level lightning bolt. And it was in the discussion as well. But I think I think the argument for giant growth being so perfect was it can so favorably interact with so many different parts of the board. It it can buff your creatures in combat, theirs, changes combat situations, can act as a burn spell if unblocked, uh, and it's so efficient at at one green at instant speed with a plus three, plus three rate. It just was, it was like a great... It's
1: a removal spell, a defensive spell, a damaging spell, a counter spell to removal. It does like 17 different things.
2: In a way that you could sort of like, you could make an argument that Lightning Bolt's in the same class, but while Lightning Bolt can go to the head giant growth it can affect your creatures it just it just creates a more complex board state right um so i thought that was really interesting if you, if you kind of apply that what makes that card so beautiful in terms of design for interaction and you apply it to this concept we're having of what is interaction is that the furthest end of the spectrum or are you talking about something like a colagon's command is the furthest end of the spectrum
1: that's the most
0: interactive
2: yeah like what are the most interactive cards in in, in modern what do we think
0: what do you define as the most interactive Grape, cards? Not- Grape shot 20 interactions for one card. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay, that's fair. And that, uh, yeah, that's true. I can't argue with that.
0: <laughs> it's the exact opposite of many people's definition of interaction because I had zero decision over, you know, in that game when I took 20 damage on turn two.
1: <laughs> true, but I do I do like the the semi uh, trolly <laughs> answer of Grape shot just because you technically are interacting more than any other card can because you get 20 triggers off of it. So that's 20 different choices that you have to make. Theoretically, yeah.
0: <laughs> the great Robin. After you win, and they're like, "Well, that wasn't interactive at all," and you're like, "That was highly interactive." <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and, and then you think about you think about cards like, oh, great example, evolutionary leap, right? Here's a new one that's now going to be modern legal. So evolution, evolution uh, evolutionary leap, ends up acting as almost like a defa- a defensive spell, as well as an engine card. Yeah, it's, right?
1: it, it's a card draw engine with a defensive spell. I guess in the sense that you can sack creatures to in response to what they're trying to do.
2: That's like, that's yeah. a very interesting level of interaction at that manicost. cost.
1: It's like instant speed birthing pod that's worse than birthing pod and better than birthing pod at the same time. But so then chances are, it, <laughs> chances are if you're playing
2: it, chances are if you're playing it, and then you're going to be getting into the battlefield triggers probably because those are probably the creatures you're playing.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at Kitchen Finks, that's the like the dream curve of that into Kitchen Finks into open mana. Like there, you're in a much better position because you basically your Kitchen Finks is three mana, gain four life, draw a card, and do
0: any amount of damage it survives for.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good. Anyway, so go ahead.
0: I wanted to add on the giant growth. What makes a magic card well designed? You know, I think it's important to to always be aware of the flavor. Something that makes giant growth great is the name describes exactly what it does.
2: Yeah, I, I think, and it's funny too because I can remember starting to play Magic at the very beginning of my Magic career in the mid '90s and not understanding at all why giant growth. It just was such a generic spell. It was, an, I had so many of them.
1: See, I do. I feel like on an interaction level, though, lightning bolt. Offers and this doesn't need to be a conversation of which is better, giant growth or lightning bolt. Obviously, lightning bolt's better. But not even better. But I mean, offers more interaction because if I draw a lightning bolt and I have nothing, yeah, then it offers me interaction ability. Where Giant Growth, when I draw it and I have nothing in play, it it then doesn't do anything. Right. So, Lightning Bolt is always choices. Well, Giant Growth can be not a choice, depending on what your board state is.
2: I certainly, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. And I think his his point, I think, was sort of more about balance. Like, it's it's quite arguable that Lightning Bolt is a little bit overpowered, um, which is why it has not existed in a lot of standard environments over the last 10 years. It's... Lightning Bolt is overpowered. I mean, uh,
1: I do. We actually we had a conversation with Kibler, uh, Brian Kibler at GP San Diego, um, not the one that's coming up, but one from previous years ago. Yeah, Uh, and he basically said that Lightning Bolt is one of the worst things, along with Thoughtseize happening to Modern right now, because it basically makes it so any creature under X four is unplayable or has to cost one mana. That
2: was like three years ago. (laughs)
1: Yes, but I mean, even now it's not that much different. They either have to have an immediate board presence or they have to survive Lightning Bolt. I mean, while Nactal not being good is or not not being good, but like being weaker than it was expected to be is partly just on the back of lightning bolt and snapcaster mage both existing in the format. Both
2: being good, yeah.
0: What makes magic cards a productive, good thing for a human to do? What makes magic cards, our spending our time on this, good for society more than just fun? So I'm looking at this at a at a deeper level. I okay. Mean, what we what's can your analyze,
1: what's your perspective on that?
0: That's a tough question and i've been thinking about that a lot but i mean yeah we could look at cards um and look at good as being rate over cost or whatever but if we go slightly deeper and we see all right people have preference i was just in the forest watching some you know travelers although as most people would call them homeless playing with cards and it's like that pensive minotaur is worn to hell that's a good card right here like this thing is getting some good play. But if we go even deeper, it's like, what are we actually doing? Is this a, I mean, I want to present this as a question to you all. Do you feel that this is a productive use of time? And if so, why? I'm curious. I want to know what other people's perspective is on that.
2: Well, I think it's a really interesting question you pose here because I've, uh, I've said it on this podcast before and I'll say it again. Like I, I started playing magic in 1995 and I've gone Mm -hmm. in and out of it my whole life. My older Mm -hmm. brother taught me to play when I was a kid. And if you, if you just sort of like you take that deep breath and you're in that environment, there's this very, very calm, very real presence. That's not so, it's not so inflated by all of these, like these surface level things that seem to sort of make Mm -hmm. up the world we live in, especially in a city like Los Angeles where we live. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in that sense, magic is this wonderful bridge if you can sort of open your mind to it, it's it's this incredibly um, modest bridge between all types of, of of like social beings, right? You can just you can interact mm-hmm. with so many different people if you're willing to. And I find in my position, it's always this great moment where I'll be, I'll be talking to some like NFL athlete, and he'll he'll say like, mm-hmm. oh, this that, and the other say, well, I, I do a magic card podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are magic cards? Well, it's this game from the 90s. It's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons meets poker and chess. Mm-hmm. And it's this great interaction, this this great understanding now that this person who literally had no idea that it existed, I just, I find it very interesting. So I think it's a great bridge. That's, I think, the biggest value mm-hmm. to me personally.
1: I would say I would say I have three different kind of outlooks on the positivity mm-hmm. of Magic. I guess let's start there. Uh, the first is from a educational standpoint. So if you look at a lot of people that play these games are middle schoolers, high schoolers, And from their end, A, like, there is a statistical, like, it's a fact that playing magic helps on, like, stuff like the SATs. And you could talk about the value of the SATs in the real world, but in reality, you're learning, you know, much better logic and reasoning. You're learning much better math, quick math skills, and, like, basic quick Mm -hmm. math skills. And you're learning uh, vocabulary-wise for all of those, sense like, all of those section SATs, which, you know, an SAT word, half of magic are, like, weird words like coarser that, like, I wouldn't know otherwise, but I now know is, like what it is and if you take that kind of perspective i think it's very helpful to some of these communities or or just kids in general to kind of learn and test how their brain works to a higher function Mm -hmm. um if you go to the kind of like the next step in life which is maybe late teens and early 20s i do -hmm. think as a hobby this is way less destructive (laughs) than so many other hobbies out there there are so many activities that i could be spending money on that a aren't necessarily good for me that if i you know, I need a social interaction situation. This allows mm-hmm. me to go to my local FM, hang out with people, have a social interaction without, you know, mm-hmm. destroying my body or wasting mm-hmm. my time or making my next day kind of shot. Another level to that is as far as money and entertainment value goes, my kind of base level has always been a movie. So a movie costs $15 for two nice. hours of entertainment. I take that same $15 and go to a magic tournament and I get three plus hours out of it. Plus it's possible that I make money off of it, or at least
2: more likely you get a 60, 65% return on your mm-hmm. investment. Right?
1: Exactly. So like mm-hmm. at least there, plus I'm still learning and I'm, you know, stretching my brain muscles and I'm like, you know, doing that kind of thing. So that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then from the last perspective, which is kind of where I'm at in my life now, which is like more mid to late twenties, which comes with a lot of, um, a lot of people move a lot or they, you know, they're thrust in the new communities or they get jobs in other locations have to move right now. I feel comfortable pretty much moving anywhere in the country, at least to based off of my language, like language barriers, mm. at least to like be able to find a pretty decent community pretty quickly. I can walk into any local trading card store. And like, if I show up three times that week, or like the next couple of weeks, I'll slowly and not even slowly, I'll quickly make friends with people there. And the only other thing I can really think of that's similar to that would be like churches or like religious (laughs) communities. (laughs) So like the fact that that's available to a a person in their twenties or late twenties, or even like teenagers, if you're moving to a new city is very valuable, at least to me, it is. And I think Mm -hmm. to many people having a community like that, that's easy to access is probably a good thing.
2: Well, certainly. And I asked, I mean, I moved here in 2010 I know you from playing Magic. Yep. We didn't know each other. We've known each other five years. Our good friend Eric, whose wedding I was in this year. I know Eric from the first, PT, the first pre-release I went to in 2010. It was the Rise of Eldrazi pre-release. I didn't know anybody. I went by myself. Uh, and that's one of my best friends in the world now. So I can completely relate to you there. It's a great community. And the last thing I'll add, it sort of piggybacks from your point back to mine, and we'll toss back to, to you, Travis, is that mm-hmm. you know I think because so- of because of the introverted nature of so many mm. magic players because you go into this community and you have a lot of people that this this is the release or this is the escape from, maybe it's a mm. cubicle job you work or you're in high school, you're a college student. I see. This is this is this thing that you get to go do. But because you're in this environment, you see a lot of people whose, uh, their their level of social comfort is lower. So the, the kind of like judging and negative stuff that, that can come up in situations with a lot of introverted people, they do and it teaches you it does teach people to kind of rise up, stand up for themselves, band together, be supportive, mm-hmm. be positive. That's an amazing lesson you can learn if you're a young kid, especially mm-hmm. because t- middle school and high school, these times are very, very hard for a lot of people. It's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of criticism and a lot of judgment, and this is largely an accepting community. So you do get examples of kind of bullying and things like that in the environment, but there's not so much of it that you can't tell right from wrong. And I think it is a great way to learn a lesson as a young person. That's so
0: I think that we can all see how magic has helped ourselves. Certainly I fall into that category of, you know, magic is seems to have been good for me, but I'm definitely, my concern is that so much of my time and our time, the community's time gets put into something that is, could be in a way escapist entertainment. Is this a black hole of time and energy? Could it be that? So um, I definitely want to push the idea that, okay, it's not just necessarily a social environment, but We are training our brains, and both of you touched on this a little bit. The brain is neuroplastic. This is highly documented. What that means is that thoughts and actions shape the physical structure of the brain. So we have studies on certain games and how they improve brain function. So, I mean, the processes involved in magic are diverse and extensive, but, you know, there's all kinds of quantification, balancing of risk versus reward, analyzing systems, resource management, um, basic math, uh, opportunity cost. All these concepts that I get taken for granted that I have them from the moment I wake up. I sequence my day like I would cost sort my deck, you know, things like that. So I feel that it really helps me outside of the game. And I want more people to see that as it's more than escapist entertainment. You know, it's it's good. It could be something that's good for the world. Yeah, I mean, well, certainly the logical reasoning
2: component that you mentioned here is, I'm sure you've had this experience, I, Kessler, and I, I, Travis, I'll bet you, you as well, mm-hmm. where somebody says, oh, it's, so it's like, it's like Dungeons and Dragons? And you go, uh, no, actually, it's nothing like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and you say to them, it really oh. is, imagine you were the, the random qualities of poker. You're drawing a card, a turn, essentially, mm-hmm. or you're seeing a new bit of information each sequence, and you have perfect information on the table, like chess, and then the thematics of the cards themselves are like fantasy. But if you were to replace, I read, still touched on this last week, the the famous quote, somebody, some famous pro said they wish that there were no pictures <coughs> on the cards. And if mm-hmm. you were to strip away the pictures and you were to, to replace the names with numbers, uh, it would become an entire game of re- exactly everything you just described: resource management, risk versus reward quantification, numbers, and probabilities. It's Literally, it would just be a gigantic pile of math problems. That's the whole game. Yes. And for that sense, if you, if you strip away all the Vorthos, it is just straight-up math. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a mathematician, and I would never explain to anybody that I am. I was not particularly mm-hmm. great at math, but that aspect of magic, the quantification aspect is one of the things I love the most about it. And I think one of the things that gets lost on people when they try to understand what it is, they don't get that that's actually what you're
0: learning here. Mm -hmm.
2: That's what attracts people to it.
0: I think it's more than pure math. There's definitely some amount of art to it. Even, even stripping away the, the flavor because there is so much um, choice and evolutionary trade-off where you go in this direction and you don't get an advantage necessarily because there's a trade-off you just get you know there's there's it's not necessarily solvable like like math would be you know so right well uh, very artistic as well definitely I, I mean and like that's what deck building is to a certain extent
1: it, it's taking one of the reasons and one of the original reasons i started playing magic and i've mentioned this before in the cast is mm-hmm. magic gives you the ability to create something and then immediately test
2: if it's viable. <laughs> and customize your experience.
1: And customize your experience. Like the things no. that I gravitate to most often are the things that let me kind of customize the experience I'm going to have with it. It's I've been playing a lot of Werewolf recently, and I generally only like hosting... The games, Um, for those who don't know, it's a game where there's like one player who hosts everything and everyone else is Mm -hmm. playing it. And I like doing that because I get to create the experience that people are going to be playing every round. Mm -hmm. And that's what's interesting to me.
2: So you would have loved Dungeons & Dragons being a DM. That sounds like exactly what that is. (laughs) Yes, but that takes way too much
1: effort. (laughs) You just (laughs) became a super nerd. Uh, (laughs) So one of the things that I've definitely in regards to taking the mental processes of what magic teaches you and then applying it to mm-hmm. the real world, and this has to do with deck building, is mm-hmm. I am infinitely better now than I ever was before I started playing magic at taking something and then whittling it down to, like, the correct things. Uh-huh. In it, And then this kind of comes more from EDH than I want to say even Moderate did, where like, I'll just put a pile of cards on a table and then slowly get rid of the cards that are unnecessary. And I do yeah. this a little bit when I'm doing Rod and Brewing, but You know, in real life, that's like, okay, we have 18 different tasks we have to accomplish. Let's make sure we focus on the correct ones. I'm much better at prioritizing what's actually important because, and I look at it as an application of the things I learned in Magic. Like, oh, I, like, you know, I often say kill your darlings when I'm telling people to cut cards from their decks. And that's because, you know, generally when in life, when I'm like, oh, I really want to do this that gets it weighted priority, sometimes more than it should be. And I've learned that that's actually something that's just human nature and to apply that to the real world.
2: Totally, totally. Really quickly, um, we, we do need to get into the last part, portion of the podcast, mm-hmm. but we we were around some Magic players last week. We had an episode last week on tournament habits of health mm-hmm. and eating and nutrition and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned this to somebody at our local shop, and they said, you should talk to Travis about it. He, I, I watch him stream and he's always doing push-ups and all kinds of stuff like that. Are you pretty aware of that stuff? I wasn't aware that that was like a big part. I mean, I've like looked at a ton of your deck lists, obviously, but uh, I wasn't aware that that was a thing. I, I mean, tell us about that a little bit, really quickly.
0: Um, yeah, I'm definitely into health uh, to a religious extent at times um, just because I feel like, you know, this is my fleshy vehicle for life and I only get one and ideally I'll have a long, fun life. Applying that to magic, um, as much success as I've had from tournaments, I'm pretty staunchly anti-tournament. To be honest, I don't like sitting in chairs. That's a Western thing. That's not a whole world thing. We have studies. That sucks. I'm not into sitting in chairs necessarily. So tournaments kind of go out with that. I'm not anti-magic. It's just like uh, my experience of magic today, I was in the forest and – met some travelers playing in the sun in the grass it's like we live in a world where more and more and everything and everything is online and sitting in chairs and magic is so amazing because you can take it outside into the forest and that doesn't get promoted in the same way there's a lot of that going on but like it just if we want to be healthy magic tournaments don't make a whole lot of sense right like you wake up Oh, well there's there's certain health in social social is necessary so that's the role that it really fulfills but like if you're working and you you know give up your weekend of good sleep or you I don't know stay up too late on Friday it disrupts your sleep can disrupt your eating and it's not really necessarily exercise you're sitting. so I mean the way that I try to experience magic is ideally play outside. Um, obviously I have a job where I produce magic content, but it's like I'll, I'll be online for one to two hours a day maximum, and I'm not sitting necessarily. I'm changing postures. So I don't want to pass judgment on everyone who goes to tournaments and everyone who sits in chairs, but I feel very passionate about the great thing about magic is it's non-digital, and we can take it outside. So let's do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree um, that it is... The human interaction aspect of magic has always been, first and foremost in my mind, the thing that draws me to the game. And I've never played magic online before. Um, mm-hmm. I've never played a single game of it. It's it's not something mm-hmm. that really appeals to me, not because I think it's wrong. I mean, as you know, Paul Rietzel said last week, he doesn't ever play real-life magic. He just plays magic online. It's, mm-hmm. for me, the social interaction, the actual looking into someone's face while we play a game of magic... And the memory that gets associated with that game is a huge part mm-hmm. of the game for me. Well, yeah.
1: I I would also say that's – I agree with you on the sense that, you know, that's something that's not brought up enough as kind of the positive PR for Magic. And often these kind of communities are kind of even lambasted at times, unfairly. But I, I do think, like, if you compare this to World of Warcraft or, uh-huh. any, or any other, like, video game in general, most of those are, like, you're by yourself in your living room or bedroom or wherever you play – and you have, like, social interaction, but it's mostly just, like, how you talk to people online, which are generally the mm-hmm. most volatile places on the planet. <laughs> you um, know. Um, versus, like, a magic store where, like, you're actually interacting with real-life people in person, a weekly basis, and that's, like, there are very few classic nerd, and there's bunny ears around my head right now when I say that, we are quotation u- marks. uber nerds. So uh, it's not a bad of judgment. When, when you say that, you know, nerds, that, like, isn't fair because they are interacting with people this is like one of the few social nerd activities that are really out there that's like kind of classified even more nerdy because of it and i think that's a really interesting facet that kind of blasts magic in kind of the wrong way Mm -hmm. um i do want i mean (laughs) we asked our twitter followers and we kind of didn't even talk about this to a certain extent but we kind of talked we talked a little bit bit, but i asked some of our twitter followers just for this section uh Mm -hmm. How do they classify a good Magic card? And so I'm going to read some, and if you feel free to jump in while I'm reading them, uh, to mm-hmm. talk about how you know if you agree or disagree on their classifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Trevor Ramlow, at Trevor Ramlow, at the MMCast. Cast. If it's blue, happy face hashtag
2: Kappa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much every single card that I wanted to talk about for the special cards was blue. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Alexander Britt at Snap Bolt Alex.
1: Versatility and low converted mana cost.
2: Yep, that uh, sounds like uh, sounds like that versatility episode we did.
1: Uh, uh, Steven mm-hmm. Ledger at Sledger says a high ratio of power to efficiency, uh, Tarmogoyf, parentheses, or versatility to efficiency. The commands and charms.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: though I think Tarmogoyf, as we talked about earlier, gets a little not enough credit for being as versa- as as versatile as it is. It can defend. It can block. It attacks. Mm-hmm, yeah. it's quite it kills creatures it's very all the time. It's very interactive. The the,
2: the argument uh, cost versus efficiency with uh, Tarmogoyf, charms, and commands referenced. sounds like you're a modern player. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At Stoneforge T, kind of on this note, two for ones, value,
1: and Tarmogoyf. But we just said that Tarmogoyf is kind of a two for one because they have to chump block it. Certainly. Uh, Cody Smith, for me, it's a card that does what it's supposed to do well and has some sort of secondary effect not good enough on its own.
2: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. That sounds like
1: uh every two two creature for three that does something. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and uh last but not least at Steve Ledger, it answers a fundamental question posed by a large percentage of the metagame. So this is kinda like what you were saying uh with um dispel.
2: Yeah. yeah. Where
1: you know dispel in a vacuum is not very good, but as long as the metagame pregates it. It, you know, it's really good like it is in modern. Their example is Blood Moon, where if we're living in a land of, like, 1994 Magic, where one you, know, you might have a few dual lands in your deck, but the rest are basic lands, Blood Moon is terrible. But in modern, it's auto-win at least, you know, 40% yeah. of your matches.
2: It's really, really, really good.
1: So, yeah. So, that's that's kind of the Twitter the Twitter people. So, so yeah. Can
0: I give a definition for what I think makes a Magic card good? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Go, Go ahead. for it. Because I don't think I've actually done that. All right. I think... A magic card is good if it makes people excited. I think a magic card is good for me if it makes me excited. Um, It's not necessarily just a... It's more than a math problem, because if a card is, like, really, really, really powerful, but I'm not excited about it, it's done nothing for me. But if a card is really, really underpowered from a classical perspective, but it makes me jump out of my seat in some kind of combo, to me, that's a good card, so... Like, I think that
2: like, like Summoner's Egg is a good card to you. Yes. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> well, a good card because it promotes creative processes and thinking. Well, and that's so. that's definitely
1: the, the like from a des- a Magic developer or designer perspective. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they're trying to accomplish. They don't they care to a certain extent because they don't want things to be too powerful, more than not, or than more powerful. But they care that things are exciting. They want the grand architects and the. Geist of St. Traffs and the Summoner's Eggs to exist for different players because then they're excited. Oh, Vengevine, he comes back to the graveyard. You can get like four. It's like a four through with Haze. That's cards nuts. That gets me yeah. excited. It doesn't matter that it sees X amount of play in a specific format. It matters more that, oh, I started, a, you know, a, it matters that I start buying packs, but B, that I'm just excited to get a hold of one for the first time.
0: Yeah, I think the emotional effect of a card is really important. The inverse is like, is Jace the Mind Sculptor a good card in standard um it made a lot of people miserable it made some people excited certainly but that had a negative effect so it was was jace a good card for standard right i would say i would argue no no
2: definitely not that it was way too powerful um yeah i mean that card's awesome i mean yeah it's it's a relative term because i'm with you i'm with you travis like I, i i'm a i'm similar to you in the sense that um Generically, Like, for instance, um, the whole modern PPTQ season, I refused to play Alex's fully formed Abzan deck, even mm. though it's just a really good deck of, like, it's a big stack of rares. And I just was like... Lingering Souls is yeah. uncommon, all right? <laughs> because for me, like, they're all really good cards. That's just not... that's Those weren't cards that I wanted to play Magic with. Not that I don't think they're good. They're just not good for me. I, I don't pick them up, and, and I don't <laughs> get excited. So yeah. in that sense, you know... And those are the different kinds of players. You talk about stripping away the pictures, and you just – that it to numbers. That's just spikes want to do that. Guys like yeah. me who are kind of in the middle, I want to win, but I need to win with my own cards. It has it's to be – called a Johnny. Yeah, it's called a Johnny. The... <laughs> you have to win. You know, I have to or win with Janie. an idea I that yeah. I think is cool. So uh,
0: I do want to
1: thank you, Travis. Can you uh, tell everyone where to find you on
0: the internet? Yeah. On um, Facebook and Twitter, Travis Wizard right now. Also on Facebook, I'm building and promoting these deck building groups. I've got two of them: um, deck building wizardry and Ma- Magic Deck Crafting for Good. If you type that in the top bar on Facebook, Magic for Good and Deck Building Wizardry, those are good places to post your deck lists. And yeah, so could you really
1: quick talk about kind of what those two things are, what those two groups are, and what- yeah,
0: those groups are for um, a place to. Post decks and get feedback and give feedback uh, where it's kind of intentionally productive, positive environment. Okay, great. That's
1: that's wonderful. That's definitely something. I mean, I know a lot of the people. We get a lot of deck lists, so it's a, definitely a good place for everyone to kind of go and get good feedback. Thanks for kind of posting about where that would be. Uh, as always, you can find me at Kess Wiley on Twitter.
2: You can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Uh, you can find the podcast, and please follow and tweet at us at the MM Cast. And uh, we are also, you know, I want to remind you guys to go check out our sister podcast, The Command Zone. They are also on RocketJump.com. They do awesome commander content with Jimmy and Josh.
2: Uh, and we will see you guys next week. Yeah, check out some of our recent episodes and the upcoming ones, guys. We're, we we got some like. I don't we got really lucky or something and and like some really really cool people like yourself and a few other mm-hmm. pros seem to think that we're a worthwhile podcast to do so uh check out some of the recent ones and the upcoming ones. There's also some kind of new developments in, in in the works that I think you guys will like so uh we will we will see you next week and thank you again so much travis for coming by and talking to us this is yeah
0: thanks for having me. I hope that i was <laughs> I hope that I did a good job yeah,
2: you were great man thank you so much we'll uh we'll, thank you. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon and...
1: yeah.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to themmcast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.